1: Should we do it? Yep. Let's do Good it. Good
4: news. Nothing broke today. Thank <laughs> God. There's no. There's no report of anyone tearing their ACL before we get into this.
3: Andrew Luck throwing a high school football, though. Come on, man.
4: Yeah, that was big news.
3: Um, actually, well, yeah, I was gonna ask if you had like anything to say about that because
1: yeah, we can move Melgo around. We don't mind. I don't have anything to say about Andrew Luck at all.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June thirteenth, twenty eighteen edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz Radio News Show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week. Brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at @amItheRealBlair, and my co-host is Hassan Rahim. You can follow at HRR five zero one zero. Hassan, how's it going?
4: It's going fantastic, Blair. Just a you know terrific summer evening. How's it going with you?
3: Yeah, it's going great. Uh, you know, rainy here the last few days, but we finally got some uh, sun today. So yeah, really enjoying the uh, the summer so far. And uh, you know, I'm excited to get into a lot of these news items we have. And I'm also excited to introduce our guest today. Joining us on the show is Ben Gretsch. Uh, ben is a mastermind in the fantasy football industry. His work has appeared on Rotoviz, on Fantasy Labs, on RotoWorld, on Draft Sharks. And uh, his most recent work is for the Player Profiler World Famous Draft Kit, which uh, he wrote all of the team breakdowns for, some 40,000 words, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at Yards Per Gretch. Ben, thanks for joining us. How's it going?
1: It's going good. It's really good to be back on the road of his airwaves. I mean, it's been a a while since I've been on a pod. Took a little time off after writing, stealing signals last year and kind of just... laying low i i guess other than that draft kit but yeah it's it's going great i'm really excited to be on with you guys you guys are two of my favorites i've been really enjoying your work this year excellent
3: love hearing that um yeah well let's just get right into it uh the first news item to discuss is probably the biggest news item we've had break over the last week or so and that's that uh patriots wide receiver julian edelman is facing a four game suspension PED suspension Monday Morning Quarterback's Albert Breer reports that Edelman's four-game suspension was triggered by a substance that wasn't immediately recognizable, but uh, still under analysis. So it's not clear exactly what that means for his appeal, but assuming he does have to serve the full four-game suspension, then what would be or who would be the biggest beneficiaries uh, on the Patriots?
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting one. I mean, first, it's it's like really weird that it got announced without any knowledge of like what actually triggered the sample. I mean, I just thought that was pretty odd. Um, who knows what will happen with the suspension? But it's also obviously interesting because last year they played without him and they were a lot more of a vertical pass attempt. I mean, a, a pass attack. I, I know a lot of people aren't huge fans of air yard still or are still kind of struggling how to use it. But this is like a really good situation to – contemplate like where the targets come on the field and you know what josh hermsmeyer the air yards guy always says is how the receivers um the depth is whatever it's tied to the receiver i can't remember his catchphrase at this moment but um the with brandon cooks on the team last year you had a lot more downfield pass attempts between him and hogan also joining the squad and gronkowski who always carries a pretty pretty hefty a dot for a tight end But now you already you have cooks gone um, and you have Edelman presumably stepping back into his more underneath role. But now with him being out for four games, I think probably during that time we're going to see an offense that looks a little bit more like last year. You probably still won't have as much of a vertical passing game because there is no cooks there. Uh, You know, somebody like whoever dorsett malcolm mitchell kenny Britt, jordan matthews whoever ends up earning that other job probably one of the latter two um somebody like that could feasibly be a little bit more downfield but i just i don't i don't think we're gonna see um as much downfield passing this year but while edelman's out maybe that is the case maybe we see hogan uh down the field that we see some more of gronk you know down the seam but uh definitely the big one that immediately comes to mind and i'm kind of working my way back around to is the running backs. The the Pats have definitely been throwing to the backs a lot more in recent seasons. And that peaked last year. I think it was like a 10 year peak for him and it's been kind of steadily rising over that, over that span. So in terms of targets to the position. So I think you'll see plenty of, of pass attempts going to Burkhead and, um, and to James White early on, uh, potentially to, to Sonny Michelle and, um, You know, whoever wins that other receiver spot, if Jordan Matthews is healthy, he's he's a guy I like and he'll probably be in in the slot and doing some of those things. But um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know. What do you guys think?
4: Uh, I just wanted to ask you, actually, uh, Malcolm Mitchell doesn't appear to be practicing through OTAs. But, uh, you know, if he's able to actually get fit in time for training camp, what are your thoughts on him? And um, are you completely out in Kenny Britt as a possible complete late flyer or just someone to monitor on your waiver wires?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think both of those guys have a shot. I mean, I think a lot of people, I mean, at this time of year, we we just kind of have to embrace some uncertainty. And especially with a team like the Patriots, they're known for being really deep at skill positions. I think what they do so well is they always have kind of contingency plans built in. Uh, it's something that like DFS players know really well. Like when Gronk goes down, and Dola steps up and they change their offense. They don't, it's not the next tight end up. It's a different player. And it's like, they always have something, a different scheme in place. So I think it could go a lot of different ways and it's something that probably needs to be monitored. I I no, I'm not out on any of those guys. I mean, I think uh, Malcolm Mitchell did some good things as a rookie. He's obviously struggled with health. Um and Britt is just a, you know, a year removed from a pretty strong season. He's always struggled with injuries too. Uh but he did really well with the Rams a couple years ago. So I could I mean, he he's like he could be that that veteran patriot that um, that we have seen in, in previous years earn a decent a decent target share, but I think for that to happen it would probably require Jordan Matthews to not be not be really there and healthy. But um, it, it, it could go a lot of different ways. I think that it's a, a true competition, in my opinion.
3: I'm obviously rooting for Jordan Matthews to get a lot of work. I've been high on him pretty much his whole NFL career. Um, you know, maybe he's somebody who could step into Edelman's role and kind of not exactly a one-for-one replacement, but do a lot of the things Edelman was doing anyway and uh, sort of give them that component of their offense that they didn't really have last year. Um, that's my hope anyway, but...
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think it, the, the love for him fell off way too quick. He's one of those players, and we do this as a fancy community, who underperformed expectations enough years in a row that now like everyone forgot why expectations were high in the first place. Like there's, there's a very valid argument for Jordan Matthews being a a viable player this year. And people are just like, I drafted him in 2016 and I drafted him in 2017 and all these years. And he's been so bad for me. So they don't even want to try it again. But I mean, he's, he's had a decent career until last year when he got, you know, he's got, he got injured a lot and he got stuck on a low volume bills offense that nobody was, was particularly good in that passing game.
4: Yeah. I mean, Selfishly, I want Malcolm Mitchell if only because I've gotten got him on, at the stash in the end of a lot of my dynasty rosters. Uh, his air yards profile indicates that he's slightly different to J. Matt and Edelman and that he's looks like he probably would be an NFL flanker if he were ever healthy, but we haven't seen him in a while, so it's very difficult to tell exactly what his usage will be. But uh, again, like kind of what you said, Ben, like ADAR belongs to the receiver, so it'd be very interesting to see if any of these guys... A, make the 53-man, and B, if they're all healthy in time for the start of the season with Jay Matt and Malcolm Mitchell and Hogan. I mean, that's a pretty exciting receiving trio, in theory at least, and is helmed by one of the GOATs at quarterback in Tom Brady. So it'd be pretty intriguing to see how this one would play out. Brown signed uh, running back Duke Johnson to a three-year $15.6 million extension through 2021. The deal includes a $5 million signing bonus and $7.7 million guaranteed. Then, uh, you know, with Duke Johnson locked up and it's likely that he's going to re- retain his role as a passing out specialist for the Browns, how do you see this just shaking out? I mean, the receiving core has a bunch of very good receivers in Landry, Gordon, Coleman, Antonio Callaway, David Njoku, set Seth DeValve. So... Do you think Duke manages to retain his role as the pass catching running back here with all those mouths to feed? And on top of that, how much, uh, you know, ESPN Cleveland's Tony Crossy reports that Carlos Hyde is the early favorite to open as Cleveland's starting running back as the primary two down grinder. Do you think Duke is able to compete with Chubb and Hyde for carries? How do you see this playing out?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, this was an interesting one for me, especially just seeing the the size of the contract and the commitment, because, I mean, I like Duke as a player just as much as anybody. But um, it, it really didn't look like they were that they were leaving a lot of opportunity for him to to retain his role. I mean, last year he was really good, in part because he saw an uptick in targets. He saw about 20 more targets in did over his first two years. And he saw a spike in touchdowns. He scored seven last year after just three in his first two years. Those are two things. I just don't see him carrying over into 2018. I just don't really see much of any way he can get close to the 93 targets he saw last year or the, you know, touchdown every other game he saw last year. If they're going to, you know, involve Chubb at all. And, and even with Hyde there, you know, I mean, those guys are going to probably see most of the, the goal line work. I think Johnson will see um, something similar probably to his first two years, which is not a, a, it's not a terrible profile, but it, I mean, for me, what's tough is that all three of these guys in drafts are going. I mean, one of the AVP lists I was looking at has all three of these guys in single digit rounds right now. And that just makes no sense. There's not enough opportunity in this backfield for all. I mean, I'm, I'm be avoiding all three of them at that price. Like for all three of these Browns backs to be, to be going that high. So for me, it's a situation where it's, it's tough to read, but we're still working with a Hugh Jackson offense. I mean, I, I think there's a lot more talent. I think they're going to be improved but it's it's you know if someone's gonna mess it up it would be Hugh uh, you're dealing with probably Tyrod Taylor under center who among all quarterbacks this guy gets off pass attempts I mean I, I really like Taylor uh, I know he's a kind of a hot button guy but he gets off pot, pass attempts at a really low rate uh, as a percentage of his dropbacks because he scrambles a ton and he also takes a lot of sacks and that's a, a part of the reason why he doesn't um, He doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. He's pretty picky in what he does. If you look at like next-gen stats, uh, their time-to-throw metric, which doesn't include sacks, it only includes passes that are actually attempted. Taylor's been at the top of the league each of the last two years, which is the the only two years of data they have. But he's somebody who holds the ball back there, often looks to run, uh, or sometimes takes a lot of sacks. So you're not going to get as much passing volume in general, and you'll see over his Bills career, he's had something like 28 pass attempts, per game uh, which is pretty low and you know they might throw more with Todd Haley there I you know they might get him to to uh, open up a little bit and take more shots but the whole issue with me for the whole Browns offense right now is like we we're like drafting them like they're gonna be a really high-powered offense and they have they have the one quarterback in the league who doesn't throw as much uh, in terms of volume because of how much he runs and they have all these new wide receiver weapons um, you know that they've actually built up over a couple of years. Uh, Gordon is back after just playing at the end of last year. Coleman could be healthy. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But he was a very good prospect. Obviously Landry's there, and he's going to be a short area target. So when you go back to the air yard stuff, that's going to cut into Duke Johnson's role. He's like the worst player to have at receiver if you're a Duke Johnson pl- like owner. And you, I mean, you don't want this guy who catch who, who just racks up targets at a six a dot on your roster. Um, it's, and then you got two really good tight ends. I mean, I think I like devolve. I, I like both their tight ends. so I, I, I don't see how it works out well for Duke this year.'m I'm, I'm off him, and I'm kind of off all their running backs because I just don't what they really need is Baker Mayfield to get in there. I mean that he's the guy that has the best chance to actually let some of these weapons um, coexist just because he's more of an unknown, but we know that he he operated in more of the spread offense. He was a high efficiency player in college. There's certainly some potential for him to come in there and play really well. Um, that's kind of the upside. It's not a guarantee, but I think with Taylor, we know that there's probably a ceiling on overall offensive volume, and there's just too many options here for, for me to be in on any of these guys, really, except Josh Gordon.
3: <laughs> <laughs> totally agree with, with uh, pretty much everything you said. I mean, I uh, before the draft, I did kind of a thing looking at comparing ADP pass catchers' ADPs with their quarterbacks' ADP, kind of trying to get an opportunity score, something that Kevin Cole has done in the past for Rotoviz. Um And Cleveland was, like, by far the worst opportunity score, uh, you know, not only for wide receivers, but for all their pass catchers. It's just an extremely uh, crowded, you know, receiver pass-catching core just in terms of how high they're being drafted. Um, it's not a good situation, I think, for any of the... Pass catchers there except maybe gordon but you know duke johnson is someone who i've always kind of felt cleveland didn't use the right way like i always wanted him to be getting more carries i thought he would probably be better than crowell ever was um so <laughs> i was pretty excited for him to uh hopefully move on to a new team in uh, 2019 and now this you know my hopes are dashed so what are you gonna do
4: I actually kind of really like that uh, Gordon call. I mean, Corey Coleman's been the subject of you know trade rumors for a while now, and uh, it's clear that they're intent on feeding Gordon now that he's reinstated. He seems to be no longer in trouble with the commissioner. Seems to be uh, they seem to be gearing up for a full season, uh, hopefully with him uh, as their primary alpha receiver and if you're expecting low volume at the very least, he's one of those guys that's got splash play potential, uh, versus being a slot receiver like Landry, who's ostensibly squeezed for targets or someone like Duke, who has a very specific role that might carry more weight in the real NFL than in our fake football game.
1: Yeah, I agree with that definitely on, on the role perspective. Uh, Part of part of my Gordon comment was just that I've been, I've been on Gordon for a few years now and I definitely like him as a player. Um, so it was a little bit facetious, but uh, I mean, it, it just going back to everything we just talked about from the number side of it, the opportunity share, all of that. But there are, there are arguments that he could easily be the alpha and be the dominant guy. And one of the big ones is before he came back last year, Corey Camp, Coleman came back and saw a really high target share in his, I think, one game or two games before uh, Gordon was also back. And then as soon as Gordon was back, it was like Corey Coleman was chopped liver. I mean, Gordon just started seeing all the opportunity and he had an extremely high percentage of his, uh, of his targets that were um, deemed uncatchable. Um, He was just overthrown a ton. I mean, if you watch the games, I remember his first game back was, it was that game against the chargers and everyone was like, Oh, do we play him in DFS at 4,100 or whatever he was Uh, in his first game back against this great secondary, the chargers. And he, he had like a decent game, But um, Kaiser missed him twice for what could have been long touchdowns. I mean, he was open. And I just, I mean, there's a lot of those situations for him late last year. Uh, Obviously, that's just like a small sample size, really anecdotal. But I do think there's some potential for him to get a a little bit better variance in terms of where the receivers are putting him in positions to succeed. And just the opportunity that he saw uh, alongside Coleman at the end of last year was a pretty good sign for a guy who had such a long layoff.
3: Yeah, we've never really seen him play with a with a good quarterback, even in his uh his you know, his great season twenty thirteen, I guess it was. He was, you know, catching passes from kind of replacement. Yeah, Hoyer and
1: Whedon, I think it was. Yeah. Yep.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So uh it'll be exciting to see. Hopefully Baker Mayfield can kind of can improve on what Cleveland's had in the past. So yeah, it'll be exciting to see what, what they can do. All right, before we get into no shit shit, no, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can get a listeners only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rodoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our premium NFL content, and it supports the pod. Also, you can support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz Radio channel on iTunes. Do that and you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to a future episode to hear if you're the winner. Also, if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Rotoviz writers and podcasters, email us at RotovizRadio at gmail.com, and we'll get that set up. Now let's get into No Shit Shit No. First item, uh, the Tampa Bay Times expects second-round pick Ronald Jones to, quote, share the load with Peyton Barber and Charles Sims to play on third downs.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say shit no. I think Sims, the Sims part is, is believable. I mean, he played between like 25 and 50% of the snaps pretty much every week last year. Um, and had a pretty decent third down role. Wasn't extremely uh, effective, but it's, it's certainly believable. But the, the last two years, the bucks have certainly tended to lean on somebody as kind of their lead back. Uh, so this would be kind of a, a change of, of what their trends have been under cutter. Um, Two years ago, it was it was Jaquiza Rogers late in the year after uh, D- Doug Martin's injury. And then last year, early on, it was um, – Jaqu- I guess it was – was Martin injured or was he suspended at the end of that year? I mean, he was suspended again to start this year, and it was Rogers again. And then it was Martin for a while. They leaned on him. And then, um, obviously, they eventually went away from Martin and they went to Peyton Barber. And Barber got uh, kind of a chance to be the lead guy, so that's that's been kind of their M.O. I, I anticipate one of them kind of being the lead guy, and I, I think it will likely end up being Ronald Jones, but um, this this to me sounds like coach speak for now, that you know both guys have that shot, but I think they're going to lean towards somebody. The Denver Post
4: expects the Broncos' 2018 backfield to feature a heavy dose of Devontae Booker.
1: Yeah, I'll say shit no on this, too. I mean, I... This is this is like right like these are the june running back like discussions that we're having. I think the disagree with the word feature here. I mean, I don't think we're going to see a feature or heavy dose situation for Devonte Booker. I think Royce Freeman is the more likely guy to to get that type of role. We didn't see a lot of um, a lot of spark from Booker so far and Freeman being a, a, an unknown, there's there's certainly something to be said about the, the wide range of potential outcomes there, he could come in and be a world beater. And you know, that we saw that with guys like Kareem hunt, you know, who went, went later last year. I mean, obviously you don't want to, you don't want to expect that from anybody or try and try and pattern match with a guy like Kareem hunt or Alvin Kamara or any of those guys. But, um, Freeman, we don't expect that from Booker this year because we've already seen Booker at the NFL level and he hasn't really been that impressive. So, um, certainly it's a possibility that he ends up leading the backfield but uh i I don't see i don't really see a scenario where we end up with a heavy dose of him, and I think if we do end up with a heavy dose of anyone it's probably Freeman
3: Charlotte Observer reports Curtis Samuel is still not one hundred percent
1: yeah, I mean that's kind of a bummer my my take on Samuel is like uh like no shit that he's in their plans um i I, I think part of the reason they traded Calvin Benjamin last year is they really wanted to use him as that second receiver. I mean, they they got a lot out of Devin Funches early on last year, and they were comfortable with him, but when Benjamin missed, uh, left really early in week three, Samuel's snaps jumped up to like 61% in that game, and he was playing like 20% or lower most games, uh, or at least week one or two, and then he continued to play down there. They had Russell Shepard playing as kind of their third receiver, but they immediately put... Samuel uh, kind of ahead of Shepard into that two wide receiver two role, and left Shepard in his kind of third rotational role. And right after Benjamin got uh, traded, we saw the same thing. We saw Curtis Samuel jump up to seventy five percent of the snaps in his first game, and he was looking pretty pretty solid. And then he got hurt in that game, and a couple other guys finished out the season in that role: uh, Kalen Clay and and Bird. Uh, but that was some. That was in my opinion an indication, they really wanted to see Samuel in that role. I, I mean, I think you could see Torrey Smith try to get in that role. Obviously they acquired him, but Torrey Smith has been pretty underwhelming lately. He was pretty bad in that Philadelphia offense last year, especially considering how efficient that offense was. Um, I just don't think he really has a lot left in the tank at this point. And I think Samuel is the guy that um, is the guy that they're going to use as kind of their next head gin in that, that second receiver downfield role. But um, We'll see. I mean, obviously, you still have, you still have, uh, you still have there. You have Greg Olson and you have uh, DJ Moore as well. So there, there's a lot of options there. But I, I think Samuel's an interesting guy. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to track his his health for sure. Pro Football
4: Talks. Mike Florio reports a new contract for Rob Gronkowski is likely but not imminent.
1: Yeah, no shit. I guess. I mean, <laughs> he's a superstar. Uh, he's talked about retirement. There was like some weird trade rumors. And now they're talking about extending I mean their other their other top receiver is suspended for PDs. I mean, this is like I think if you told like if we were doing like a true or fake uh headline thing, I would guess that this was fake because it's like two on the nose. But yeah, a new contract is likely, but not imminent. That sounds about right for Rob Grankowski.
3: Brown's own Scott Petrak believes Jarvis Landry will be used down the field more often this season than he was with the Dolphins.
1: Uh, I'm gonna say shit no, but I'm gonna buy it to an extent. Um, I don't think it's suddenly gonna be used downfield. The the phrase I was thinking of for Hermes Meyer was that the oh god I already forgot it again. The target share belongs to the receiver or however he says that. But a dot a dot a dot belongs to the receiver. So Landry was in like the sixes last year and he has been in that range um, for all four years of his career. I think his career high is like just over seven yards uh, of depth on average. The main thing for me is we talked about all the weapons they have. You have Gordon; he's going to be a downfield guy. If Coleman's healthy, he's going to be a downfield guy. Um, David and Joku last year, especially after Gordon and Coleman returned, his a dot spiked. Uh, you know, it's not a a great stat probably to split into halves. But if you look at his first half of his year and the second half of his year, uh, in the in the latter half, his a dot was up over twelve. He finished as one of the tight end, uh, one of the few tight ends that had an a dot up over ten. Um, So he's, he's a big athletic tight end. They're going to use down the field, uh, especially once Gordon and Coleman are, are good enough threats on the outside, like they were late last year to stretch defenses, stretch safeties. Then you can use him in kind of the deep middle. Um, all of that means like, why would, why would you have Landry running 15 yard routes? I mean, maybe he can get into some of those, those routes that, that Njoku was getting into once you had Gordon and Coleman on the outside, but Uh, And and I'm sure he will probably to an extent because you also have Duke Johnson behind him. I mean, these guys have they have they have a lot of weapons at every layer of the field, which is great for the Browns, but it's not great for fantasy for opportunity share. Um, But anyway, I could definitely see Landry's Landry's a dot rising to an extent. I just don't really see how he's going to all of a sudden be a down the field threat in an offense that has. Um, you know, this big athletic tight end is a big one alongside Gordon, obviously. Coleman, whatever they get from him, would be great. Um, I still think he has, you know, plenty of potential to be useful. And if he is, he's probably going to be a downfield guy as well. And DeVal is another big athletic tight end. I mean, they got so many guys that can press the field. Why would you turn Landry into a downfield guy?
4: Sam Darnold could open the season as the Jets' third string quarterback.
1: Uh, I'll say shit, no. I mean, he could. He could open the season as a Jets' third string quarterback. Like, why not? But, um, I just don't buy it. Josh McCown's going to be 39 in July. He has uh, never played more than 14 games in his career. He's played 10 plus games three times in his career. He's not all of a sudden going to play 16 games this year. They need Donald ready. We're going to see Donald this year. I mean, I, I love Teddy Bridgewater. I'd love to see him do well, uh, but we don't really know what to expect from him. But yeah, they, they do have three feasible quarterbacks. Donald could open the season as a Jets third string quarterback, but the main reason I'm saying shit no is I think that would change quick. I mean, at some point this season, we're going to see Donald under center.
4: That actually, uh, this uh, note actually smells a little bit like the Jets leaking information to uh, raise Teddy Bridgewater's uh, trade value, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's not crazy. We saw that a couple of years ago with the Eagles and they sent Sam Bradford out of town and it was Wentz and, and Chase Daniel and Bradford. It was a fairly similar situation.
3: ESPN's Mike Reese doesn't expect the Patriots to sign free agent Des Bryant.
1: I'll say no shit, but I mean, I I just don't think he ends up there, but I I could see it. I just think they have a lot of other options. They already have basically what they would be getting out of Des. I mean, maybe not quite what Des is capable of. I do think Des has definitely lost a step. I buy into all that, Um, but they already have kind of the depth and the veteran presence with the, the Brit and and the Matthews's, and they have, uh, they have Hogan who I, I think they like, and they're going to want to use. So I just bring in. Brian to me would be for them would they've tried that before with the Ojo, you know, Ocho Cinco and Reggie Wayne and stuff. None of that's ever worked out for them. And they're, they're usually a team that seems to learn from their mistakes. So I just don't really see it.
4: The Miami Herald reports second round tight end, Mike Gusecki, looked lost at times during OTAs
1: yeah I'll say no shit there I mean first of all he's a tight end and tight ends take a while to 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 develop we know that that's a position that um it's a little harder to be an immediate producer even though we've seen a little bit more of that in the last couple years with guys like Ingram last year and Hunter Henry um but he's playing for the Dolphins first of all so we know he's not getting any coaching and he's you know He's playing with Ryan Tannehill. How could you not look lost? I mean, or whoever's playing quarterback. Is Tannehill throwing yet? Or, I I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Miami. (laughs) I don't really care, to be honest.
3: (laughs) NFL Network's Mike Garofalo expects the Cardinals to extend contract year running back David Johnson before the season.
1: I'll say no shit. Similar to the Gronk one. I mean, sure, they should lock him up. Yes, very much so. He's going to be their whole offense. I mean... Even though obviously they're probably going to work him like crazy this year and, you know, it puts a risk on them, I, I still think you'd you'd want to extend him. I mean, if, I don't know, I guess it depends on the price point. It's not great to pay running backs huge money. I buy into all that, but I also think David Johnson is just insane. I mean, he, I, I tweeted like the other day about his receiving role and it was like the single season running back Air Yards leaders and he was like 200, and like he was at 500 and something in 2016 Air Yards and the next best Single season running back air yards total is like just over 300 since like 2009. Um, which yes, he had 120 targets last year, and that's a cumulative stat, but he had a higher A dot than any other running back who had at least 20 targets in 2016. I mean, he was like a downfield 120 target not completely downfield, obviously. His A dot was only like 4.6 or 4.7 or something, but I mean, that's not far off from like Jarvis Landry. Like, David Johnson is a goal line back, he's your every down running back, and he's also like Basically, Jarvis Landry in the passing game. He will get actually out into routes a little bit. Uh, He's basically their second best receiver. I mean, he's he's my RB one this year. He's a freaking phenomenal player, and he he was better than Gurley last year. I think there's a little recency bias. People don't remember how good he was in 2016 and just how valuable his opportunity was in the passing game and in the at the goal line. Uh, Their offense is probably going to suck, but he's going to get like they weren't that great before him or back in 2016 before he got hurt. Uh, he's and as long as he gets fed, I mean, he's he basically made their offense feasible in 2016. So anyway, he's he's phenomenal. I'd pay him. Josh
4: Allen has been practicing with third uh, with the third stringers behind AJ McCarron and Nathan Peterman, but Bills coach Sean McDermott won't rule out Josh Allen getting first team reps at minicamp.
1: Yeah, no shit. I mean, they traded up to get him. They they can't exactly rule that out right now, right? They <laughs> they have to believe that Josh Allen is their future. So good. Good luck.
3: I lied when I said the Edelman news was the biggest of the week. It's actually this Andrew Luck was throwing a high school ball in Tuesday's mini camp session.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That's the next uh, obvious step um, in this story. He's throwing high school footballs. Um, hey, he's throwing something. You guys were telling me before we got in the air, he was thrown to Reggie Wayne as well, which is just so freaking perfect. I mean, this is. I I mean I have nothing on luck. I want to hear what What do you guys have on luck? Anything? Uh... (laughs) Yeah, that's. that's... Uh, I mean,
4: I'm pretty excited to see him coming back. Come back, but Dr. J has laid out a pretty good case about why we should consider fading uh, luck in 2018, even if he were to return. And then on top of that, outside of um, Hilton, most of the other Talents that they've got are kind of questionable. Uh, you know, you've got Doyle, who seems to be a volume powered poor man's Jason Witten. Then you've got Ebron, who was released before the end of his rookie deal. Then you have Chester Rogers, Ryan Grant, and Therese Fountain and Dion Kane, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I guess I'm pretty excited a little bit about Naheem Hines and Marlon Mack and Jordan Wilkins, if only because there'd be more red zone equity to go around with with luck under center. But I also don't know because they play in such a difficult division, and uh, Houston and Tennessee have taken steps to not only improve their offense, but their defense is also going to either A, be healthier, they've signed or drafted some star-studded defensive talent, and that doesn't even include the Jacksonville Jaguars, so good luck you guys drafted a one of the top o-linemen but you know there's still a bunch of other positions where your o-line is a you know a rusty fence that just offers no resistance hopefully it doesn't get hurt again but i i think we might have seen the best of luck
1: yeah i mean it's definitely tough like this has lingered too long for you to not be concerned at this point i mean we're we're what a couple months from the season he He took all of last year off. He started throwing during the year. Then he had a setback. They shut him down. He should have been throwing by now, right? I mean, I'm with you. Like, it's tough to be. And and Dr. J has been right on this from the very beginning, like you said. I mean, it's really tough to be optimistic.
3: Bad when it's news that somebody whose job is to throw footballs is doing that. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) With With a high school ball, like, you know, six, eight months removed from when he was supposed to have been healthy last year. I mean, uh, it's it's coming along slowly. Yeah.
4: NBC Washington's Rich Chandler reports Jameson Crowder and Alex Smith displayed a very good repo during Reskin's Redskins
1: OTAs. Yeah, this is, oh God, such a June, such a June report. Um, I'll say no shit because, I don't know, Alex Smith is uh, a little bit underrated in my mind. Always kind of has been. He's an accurate passer in the short area of the field. I think Jameson Crowder uh is good he had a really disappointing year last year and i don't really know what the deal with was with that but um it makes sense to me that these guys are showing a good rapport at uh, otas i mean that just for some reason that fits
4: i don't know if you guys saw the tweet but uh paul richardson tweeted a uh, photo of
1: taco night oh he, uh, no he had, he that had, was so uh, bad and Devonte adams was like commented on it and thought that was a good call like ketchup right. on tacos
4: it, it looked like it looked like ketchup and it looked like ketchup and cheese and uh, I swear if I squinted I could have saw some protein, but uh, man like I just want to drop him off my board and Adams is off my board yes. and Adams anyone,
1: like and and Crowder yes and and, yeah, and anyone I, with the
4: ketchup on on tacos support is off my draft board.
1: Yeah, that was that was one of the worst tweets from an athlete I've seen in a while. <laughs> That's not true. There's been a lot worse, but that was pretty bad.
3: According to First Coast News Mike K, Austin Safarian Jenkins and Blake Bortles have established a strong connection at OTAs.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, no shit. That makes so much sense on so many levels that, that Blake Bortles and Austin Seferian Jenkins have a strong connection. I mean, I haven't really commented on what I think of either of these players, so I should probably rather than just the report. I mean, for Crowder, I actually, I kind of like him and especially Reed as well, if he's healthy. Uh, I don't think Doxson and Richardson are that amazing, but I think they're um, they're basically inconsistent, but uh, like fantastic players that that can make really great plays. I think that consistency is what matters in fantasy, and thus I don't really like either of them necessarily, their profiles, but they're downfield weapons that should open up the under par- underneath part of the field, and I think the Redskins could have a pretty good underneath passing game with Reed, Crowder, and and thompson and alex smith being their quarterback um so i uh i, I kind of like like crowd in that situation in this one uh i'm being completely sarcastic this makes sense because whatever like uh, blake burles doesn't have a strong connection with anyone ever um but i, I don't know I, i'm not i'm not really buying that Austin fair and jenkins is going to be good in in jacksonville i haven't i had him in dynasty last year and was pretty bummed to see that's where he ended up and I mean, they have a ton of receivers and Bortles. Generally, if anyone has been decent in this offense, it's been the receivers. He hasn't us- usually ever really gotten the ball to his tight end well. Um, you know, some of that's personnel related, and Austin Safaire and Jenkins is certainly better than Mercedes Lewis and the other tight ends that they've had there, but I just don't see this being a good fit.
4: The Lions' official website reports Kenny Galladay looked like a veteran on the first day of any camp.
1: Yeah, this is no shit. I mean, Kenny Galladay is going to be... This makes perfect sense. He last year was a rookie and came out the first three weeks of the year. People forget this, but was better than Marvin Jones. I mean, slightly, but he out-targeted him, caught like one more pass, had a few more yards. They both scored two touchdowns over the first three weeks. And then he had, what What was he? What did he, he had a hammy injury, I think. Right. But he missed like the next like six, seven weeks. And that's when Marvin Jones really took off after he came back. Jones was better than him at the end of the, at the end of the season but um, the two of them are competing for downfield targets and people uh, I think are are a little bit too optimistic on Marvin Jones. That's a guy, in my opinion, that is like the perfect example of somebody who hit on a high range or high bound in their range of outcomes last year. Uh, his like his three double digit target games where he really blew up were while Galladay was out and was the game that Golden Tate left early with a shoulder injury and then Tate played lower snap counts the next two weeks playing through questionable tags wasn't healthy obviously those guys aren't necessarily directly competing for targets but i still think there's some overlap there when your underneath guy isn't healthy and is playing less snaps that the offense is going to be more likely uh, to flow through that downfield target that stafford's more likely to take those contested shots and then also with marvin jones like he caught so many ridiculous passes last year he's not going to repeat that people think that's like like yes that's awesome that's a cool thing about his talent but like He had like six or seven just ridiculous catches last year. You're not going to get that year in and year out. That's the first time he's ever done that. He's like a 29-year-old or something. I don't know if that's right, but this question wasn't about Marvin Jones, but I'm on a Marvin Jones rant right now. Anyway, Kenny Galladay uh, I think is a serious competition for Marvin Jones' downfield role next year and is somebody that – yeah, Marvin Jones is 28. I just looked it up. Anyway, Kenny Galladay is – it's going to be good this year, and I think he could actually like – has the potential to like trump marvin jones and i know that sounds crazy right now but um they're going to be used the same way and they're going to compete for some of those downfield targets they're going to cannibalize each other a little bit uh the big thing with Kenya galladay is like we saw it from day one last year and now you're getting these great reports this year like that's bad news for marvin jones you like marvin jones owners you should know that that's bad news
3: Dalvin cook has been getting reps in team drills and otas
1: Yeah, Dalvin Cook's like a no-shit guy for me this year. I think he's going to have one of the more valuable workloads. Last year, obviously, the Vikings had really good game script in their favor. Um, They got really good quarterback play from Case Keenum. I think the upgrade to Kirk Cousins, and I do think it was an upgrade, won't necessarily mean that they'll get better quarterback play because Keenum played over his head. I think they kind of moved on from Keenum knowing they weren't going to get a repeat of 2017, probably in 2018, they're hoping to get probably similar play from Kirk Cousins, and they got from Keenum last year. But the the main point I'm making there is they didn't really rely on the on the passing game too much. I mean, they 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 certainly obviously had a lot of passing value to Thielen and Diggs, but it wasn't um, that wasn't their like their focal point of their offense. Their focal point of their offense was their their ground game, um, at least in terms of opportunity share. I mean, not actual real football stuff. Their 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 passing game was was what set everything up last year but their running backs got so much opportunity last year Dalvin Cook got a ton in the first four games over the last 12 games uh Murray and McKinnon combined for like 28 rush attempts per game uh and averaged another like six targets so you're gonna see Cook and McKinnon's gone now he's the pass catcher you're gonna see Cook probably see a little bit more um a little bit more receiving work as well this year Murray's going to be involved I like him as well I mean the two of them I think are going to be the main two backs in an offense that last year just had a ton of of opportunity Um, the three of them last year combined for more uh, red zone touches than like Le'Veon Bell who had pretty much all of Pittsburgh's red zone touches and led the league Uh, it's a really good opportunity and situation for for the backs so I'm, I'm definitely high on cook this year Second-year
4: wide receiver Josh Malone hopes to force his way into the Bengals' rotation this season.
1: Also, should know because I think he would have to force his way through John Ross, and I love me some John Ross. So, I mean, I, I think John Ross is like a really good dynasty buy right now. Um, there's pretty much no way that his value doesn't come up. All he has to just really do is get on the field. Like he's super cheap right now. Um, yeah, like. I'm not going to like completely pretend like his rookie year didn't matter. It certainly mattered, but there's a lot of weirdness going on there with the injury and just whatever was going on off the field. And, and that stuff does matter. I mean, that could mean that he never really actually grasps the NFL game and succeeds, but Brandon LaFell is like 32. And just because Brandon LaFell was their their starter on the outside last year, doesn't mean that the Bengals are going to sit by for a whole nother year and do the exact same thing. Like, what we just saw happen doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen again in 2018. I mean, obviously that's just recency buys 101, but it's so easy to think that John Ross was a top 10 pick. The Bengals have a lot of incentive to get something out of their top 10 picks. So they don't look like idiots for taking him in the top 10. They're going to run him out there. They're going to let a speed win. Uh, I, I just, I don't see Josh Malone cracking the rotation beyond that. And then also Brandon LaFell playing some obviously AJ green, um, I still think Tyler Boyd will be fine in the slot and and play a little bit. So I just I don't know where Malone gets out there. Maybe but I'm just not really I'm not digging it.
3: Seahawks coach Pete Carroll believes Tyler Lockett is finally all the way back to 100% health.
1: Yeah, I mean, no shit, I guess. Uh, I've already name-dropped Hermes a couple times in this spot, so let's just go for number 3. I think he's commented on how Lockett was pretty pretty slow right with uh with his speed last year. He probably wasn't healthy. Um so the, the idea that he's finally all the way back to... I mean, he was probably playing Hurt last year. it's It probably makes sense that he's finally back to health. Does that mean that he's like a great investment this year? I don't know. I mean, they got Brandon Marshall now. Uh, they have a ton of available opportunity, though, obviously, with Paul Richardson gone, who Lockett was kind of competing with. Um, those two seem to cannibalize each other's targets on a week-to-week basis. Like, one would peak one week, and the other would be kind of non-existent, uh, because Baldwin and Graham were kind of the lead, the lead to focal points of the passing game, but Graham's gone now. They're probably not going to have that type of presence at tight end between Vanette and Ed Dixon. Um, Lockett could certainly see a little bit of a rebound year for sure. I could totally see that, but they also have a lot of depth. They brought in Jaron Brown from the Cardinals. They have uh, Amara Darbo. They have Marshall, who, if nothing else, if he makes a team, I mean, he's going to get that veteran treatment probably. And, you know, like I could totally see him – do the like mid-season retirement thing and play like six weeks but he could eat up some opportunity for like six weeks um or he could he could be decent i guess uh there's definitely opportunity there so anyway Lockett, i mean it makes sense he's finally healthy and there's some upside there if he is a different player than you look like in the past but he hasn't hasn't looked good for a couple of years now and they they do have options even though there's a lot of opportunity will fuller is expected to have a bigger role this season yeah that's a no shit um one of the big things with DeAndre Hopkins everyone's talking about is how after uh, Deshaun Watson went down, he continued to be productive. That was not true for Will Fuller. He was, like, disappeared with Tom Savage and uh, whoever. Like, what was it, TJ Yates again? I mean, who was the—the the, the Texans just have—they've gone through some really bad quarterbacks in the last it's, couple yeah, years. It's
4: a, it's a revolving door of mediocrity yeah. there. And I think
1: they've done Yates, like— three times. I think he started like a playoff game for him a couple of years ago. I mean, I don't know. I, I've blocked some of this out, but Will Fuller definitely needs to have a bigger role. He was really good in his rookie year. He's a downfield threat. He'll take some attention off defenses uh, off of uh, off DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, obviously Hopkins is going to be the focal point of any defense, but I've, they, they work really well in tandem. And it's very similar to how AJ green and John Ross could work. I think is you have the speedster who's the second option. And if you don't pay him attention, he's gonna, he's gonna have the potential to burn you. Um, so, assuming you're rolling a little bit of safety help over there, that gives the AJ Green and DeAndre Hopkins lead alpha receiver a little bit more room to work, which is really nice. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think Fuller is very clearly their second best receiving target, and and should be considered uh, as such. And I think he'll get that that type of volume.
3: 49ers.com's Joe Fan reports second round wide receiver Dante Pettis is learning all three receiver spots.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll just say no shit. I mean, I I don't really have a, a strong take on Dante Pettis, um, but I guess it makes sense. He's a second round pick. I mean, it's kind of odd that they didn't really have like a specific vision for him in place, but he's a pretty versatile player in, in college. So, I mean, it makes some sense that he's learning some stuff. I think that's probably not a great sign for him, frankly. I, I like Garcon and, and particularly Goodwin in this offense, um, it'll be interesting to see what they what they think of Pettis, but they took him high. So, I mean, you'd think he'd he'd be out there, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. What do you guys make out of that?
3: They traded up to get him, right? Yeah, they traded up to get him. You'd think they would have a uh, you know a role in mind, like you said, but right, um...
4: it's an odd report, right? I I think it kind of comes down to maybe that just means Kittle and. Pettis might cannibalize opportunity, especially if they're planning on utilizing McKinnon a little bit more as a as a receiver. I mean, we know how many targets Car- Carlos Hyde saw, but we didn't really get to see much of Hyde alongside Jimmy Garoppolo. And uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo led offense. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where they decide to or how they decide to distribute the, the targets. It comes down a little bit on Garcon's health, of course. You know, recovering from that neck injury. But realistically, this is just another, uh, in my opinion, where the tight end might be the guy that get ho- gets hosed. And if Garoppolo really hits the high range of his outcomes and is able to support two top 24 receivers in Goodwin and Garcon, then Pettis and Kittle might just cannibalize each other, which makes them ideal best ball plays. But I don't know if the, you could really count on them for week to week in redraft or dynasty.
1: Yeah, I'm with that. I mean, I, I do think if he, if, if Garoppolo is a real deal, it's going to be Garcon and Goodwin. I really think that as well.
3: I wonder if this might mean that the 49ers don't really know, you know, have no real idea what they're going to be able to get out of Garcon this season.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting read into it. I mean, that's certainly possible. They might want him to be prepared to play elsewhere, but also potentially play in that spot. And that would be pretty huge for Pettis, obviously. Eagles' assistant head coach/slash running backs coach
4: Drew Staley suggested Jai will be the workhorse this season.
1: Yeah, that's a shit no. Um, this is one that I, I, I don't understand. I, like what drafters are doing here. Personally, I, I know there's some really sharp guys that are on Jai, so I, I feel like I'm missing something. But uh the Eagles were like they did not use any kind of like they were probably the 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 committeeist committee last year uh and how they use backs i mean i think in the regular season they went over they had running backs that went over 15 touches maybe twice and it was like i think i got that set right and it was le garrett blunt both times oh. and like really plus game script where he racked up some r- rush attempts and he only got to like 17 touches both times uh ajayi had a couple games in the playoffs where he went to like i think he broke 20 touches once and he got up like to like 18 or 19 in the other game they definitely used him more in the playoffs but Part of me thinks that was like almost by design, like they went with the bat that they like more in the playoffs. I I don't see why we would go into the season next year and not expect them to continue to use Clement and and especially Sproles, who they really liked. He actually had the highest snap share of the regular season of any back last year in week two when he had 69% snap share. Um, That was the only game all year that an Eagles back played 60% or more snaps uh there's only two other games where or like maybe actually looks like three other games where one played over 50 percent of the snaps I mean you're mostly seeing guys like play in the in the high 40s like that's where Ajayi was playing from the majority of the late part of the season and you know Clement playing in the 30s Blunt was getting plenty of work and someone's gonna take that that work and maybe that's maybe that's Ajayi but I just it doesn't seem like a scenario where a is going to suddenly start to play 60 70 percent of the snaps and see 18 to 20 touches i just don't get that I, I don't see that happening it's not really in the in the cards from last year other than what we saw in that small uh postseason sample all
4: right all right uh let me tell you about our friends over at the fantasy football players championship the home of season long high stakes fantasy football the fantasy draft season is heating up, and the FFBC is a format to suit interest and budget. Whether you like best ball, superflex, or classic managed leagues, there are drafts daily with entry fees starting at just thirty-five dollars. Jump into a slow or live draft today, and if you like dynasty, the FFBC has almost two hundred active dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at seventy-seven dollars and going up to twenty-five hundred dollars. And here's something incredible. Not a single Dynasty League has folded in eight years. New Dynasty Leagues are forming right now, with startup drafts launching on a regular basis. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Take all the knowledge that Ben has dropped in this episode, apply it in your drafts, and mint some money. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football.
3: All right, news item number three. Chargers offensive coordinator Ken Wisenhunt suggested Melvin Gordon could be a bigger part of the passing game in 2018. Uh, Ben, now that Hunter Henry is out for the season, do you think Melvin Gordon can really increase his targets from the 83 he saw last year? Or uh, do you expect Rivers to lean on someone else in Henry's absence? Um, How do you see this shaking out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think expecting him to see more than 83 targets is probably kind of a fool's errand. Like that's that's just one of those comments where there's probably not a great understanding of like just how heavily he was used last year. Um, I mean, I get it, and there's other obviously receivers that have seen 100 plus targets that that have similar kind of workloads to him, and he he had a couple games where he. Uh, was questionable and didn't play full snap shares. And, and we saw a lot more of Eckler last year in those games. And then other games where he was playing 80-plus snaps, 80-plus uh, percent of the snaps. And certainly, yeah, if he's healthier all year and they want to use him in a really heavy workhorse role, it, it could happen, but um, Eckler was was good last year. So there's not really a a, a big reason to to lean on Gordon that much, a guy who has an injury history. And I mean, I still really like Melvin Gordon. I mean, he has a really great combination of the receiving work and the red zone work, which is what we should be looking for in our, in our running backs. We always talk about that. Uh, That's, that's fantastic. But I do think more likely, like without reading this quote, I would think it would go the other way. They just also drafted Justin Jackson. They took him in the seventh round. He was a late round pick. Uh, but he's one of the best pass catchers in this draft. And now their running back depth is, you know, they, they were really thin last year and they're a little bit deeper, just a little bit, but a little bit deeper. Um, I just don't buy it. I mean, I think that that Eckler and Jackson both have potential to be utilized uh, and, and where they would probably be utilized is in the passing game. So um, I don't know. I, there's there's some potential for it, like I said, if he just like hits uh, stronger snap shares in every week and stays a little healthier and doesn't have a couple of those random weeks where he is a little bit further down and seeds a significant amount of the snaps. But I just don't really see that for him. And then to your question about how the targets split, I mean, Keenan Allen is a dominant target hog. He's going to see his share. Um, I wrote about that last year. It was one of the, one of the things I, I did. I, I got pretty right. I mean, I get plenty of stuff wrong, but... Um, that was one of my favorite articles I wrote last year because my whole kind of argument was if Keenan Allen's in the offense, he's going to get his and the rest of the people are going to figure it out. Uh, And that's kind of how it went. I mean, he he got his targets. He might not be able to hit the same level of targets that he hit last year. And he probably doesn't have a great opportunity to go any higher. So there is opportunity outside of him. Um, And we just talked about how Melvin Gordon at 83 targets is already kind of maxed out too, and it might come down. But those targets probably go to the running backs, but there is some opportunity for some other guys, Tyrell Williams, Travis Benjamin, whoever it is. But um, I think probably that Keenan Allen is is still going to be the, the focal point of the, of the passing offense. Uh, that's not really like a big, bold take at this point, but um, that's that's kind of how I see see that going. And, and then as far as the running back targets, I mean, I, I just yeah, I, I think probably those other guys are going to be plenty involved.
4: Yeah, I mean, last year, Gordon's 83 targets, they were the second most in the team after Keenan's. Uh, I mean, sure, he was a capable finisher when the Chargers were in the red zone. He uh, saw 10 red zone targets. He caught eight of them, and he scored four touchdowns. And again, Gordon's a very capable receiver. Seven of his eight rushing TDs uh, came when the Chargers were in the red zone, but I, I completely agree with you 100%. I really can't see them imp- him improving on those 83 targets from last year.
3: Do you see Keenan Allen getting... Uh- an actual actually higher number of targets than he had last year it looks like he had 159 159
1: yeah probably not i mean i just i don't it's possible but i mean i, I really think it's possible i mean i think people see that number and they think it's not but i, I actually i think he could have a hundred and eighty two hundred target season i mean i don't think that's crazy he's he's like you can go back to his freshman year in college and every year this guy has dominated targets um, even when he was well younger than than the guys he was playing alongside. And he played with Marvin Jones at Cal, who was two years older than him for two years, and he outproduced him. He played uh, right away as a 21-year-old alongside Antonio Gates, right, when Gates was still kind of in his prime. And he was seeing just as many targets as Gates in, in the games that they were on the field together. Um, now he's in his prime, and he's always been a guy that is just like – it's often chalked up to his route running. I mean, if you watch the tape, you can definitely see that. Obviously, that's not – something that Rotovis relies on a ton is tape watching, but um, he's like, he's a phenomenal route runner. I mean, he's going to get a ton of targets and beyond him, you know, we're saying that Gordon probably can't match it, but Rivers likes to throw to his backs. I think the, those targets will still go to the backs. I mean, Eckler had 35 on top of Gordon's 83 last year and Brandon Oliver had another 11. So like they threw plenty to their backs last year. I think they will again this year, how that splits out. I mean, Eckler, I, I, don't know that Eckler is going to be a 50 target guy, but if, if Jackson sees some more involvement than, than Oliver did in his, you know, eight games or whatever he played last year, um, you're gonna, you're gonna potentially see some of those Gordon targets come to the other backs, but I still think it will be the running backs heavily involved. Um, but like we said, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of other opportunity outside of that still. I mean, I, Although something else we should definitely know, and we have we were talking about a little off the air, is how good their defense is. And there's a really strong likelihood, and I probably should have led with this, but a really strong likelihood that their pass, pass volume is in jeopardy this year because their defense is just really good. I mean, I think the Chargers are going to be a lot better this year. They struggled early last year. They played a lot of close games early, which tends to inflate passing volume. Um, they played really well late in the season and looked a little bit more like the team that a lot of people expected they were going to be coming into the year. Um, but adding derwin james to that secondary you got uh, bosa and ingram as two of just the elite edge rushers in the league um it's a it's a a defense that could definitely set up for a lot more positive game scripts um which could lead to just more running and and potentially even i mean it could lead to more targets for the running backs overall but I don't know. I, I still think they would probably manage Gordon's workload is kind of what where I come back to. It's like this guy has a health health history, and I just don't see why, especially if they get up and they get ahead in games, why they would just be pounding him and using him 80-plus percent of the snaps. Um, But I don't think it's a reason to shy away from him. I still think he has, like, really high ceiling, um, but... Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of Keenan Allen, and a lot of the running backs. And then, yeah, I didn't even mention Mike Williams, but y- you got the other three receivers that I think are going to kind of shuffle the rest of the targets. ESPN's
4: Rob Domovsky writes, uh, Ty Montgomery appears set for a significant role in the offense. Uh, well, Ben, considering that Ty Montgomery was a trendy selection in the early rounds last season, how do you see this backfield shaking out, especially now that uh, both Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones have flashed NFL-caliber talent?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is one I don't really have a good read on at all. I mean, I think um, Williams, it, like the general perception is the team likes Williams more. They like him first pass blocking more. And I actually just saw um, one of Brian Malone's articles from last summer where he was actually talking about Jamal Williams and specifically highlighting his pass catching. It was one of his, his shorter articles that he does highlighting his pass catching and saying he could be um, – an interesting name to keep in mind and he could have he could have a strong season and that's exactly what we saw Ty montgomery got hurt jamal williams was the guy that was the next man up obviously the fantasy community was in love with aaron jones aaron jones was a better runner uh, but the team just seems to be enamored with jamal williams so for me it's really tough to tell what to do with either of those guys and then also obviously when you get reports like this the Ty montgomery still in a significant role i mean the the thing they loved about montgomery the reason they made him their running back obviously is that he was basically a a little bit more, um, a little bit better of a runner than Randall Cobb, who they used in that role originally. But the whole concept was he's somebody that they can um, show a lot of looks to defenses with. They can easily audible at the line of scrimmage. They can move him out wide. They can do all sorts of. They can start him out wide, bring him into the backfield. They can do all sorts of things. They did that with Cobb. They used to give Cobb, you know, four or five carries a game sometimes in certain matchups. Uh, and then Montgomery was more of a running back. Uh, than that than, than Cobb ever was but still has that receiver ability. they like that flexibility and it wouldn't surprise me if Montgomery gets that type of a role because of what he does in terms of like the chess piece you know the, the chess piece and the, the chess game that the that football can be but um, the biggest thing for fantasy is that all three of these guys are are pretty reasonably priced. It's a tough call right now uh, but we were talking about the Browns running backs earlier all those guys, based on the ADP list I was looking at earlier, all three of the Browns backs are going higher than all three of the Packers backs, which just makes no sense to me. I mean, it's two uncertain situations, but the Packers situation probably has more fantasy appeal, frankly, because you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and all three of those guys are going lower. Um, probably has a better chance in my opinion as well, of somebody emerging as being the lead guy. Whereas I think the Browns are probably in for a season where everyone gets opportunity. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think those guys are more worth uh, more worth considering because of their price, uh, but it's a tough read. It's a tough one. I don't know. What do you guys? What What's your read on this?
3: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you about the price. Definitely, uh, that's a great point. Um, you know, Montgomery, you know, he's someone. When he got the early opportunity last year, he didn't look really good. Like I remember, he had one game where he averaged, I think, less than three yards a carry. He was pretty ineffective you know from an efficiency standpoint uh with the opportunity he got and then you see Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones both come in and especially with Jones they are just like the complete opposite like they're dynamic and uh and uh, really quite effective so uh you know that's kind of a bad sign for Montgomery I think um has me kind of avoiding him but he's uh you know it's nice to be able to get the cheapest in these kind of uncertain backfields, you know, but at this point I'm much more comfortable drafting, I think someone like Williams or Jones who just, I think, has a uh, maybe a more realistic shot to end up becoming the lead back here. Um, But I could be all wrong about that. I don't know.
1: No, I definitely agree with that point. That was a great point. I think both the the second year backs have a way better chance of becoming the lead back. I don't think they're going to do that with Montgomery again. I mean, that just seems crazy.
4: Yeah, I think uh, I agree. I mean, like when I, I wrote a piece last year about uh, Ty Montgomery titled uh, Why I Love Ty Montgomery But Hate His Price. This is where he's going around the 3-4 turn MFL tons. You know, when you're looking at his usage at the screener and a couple of other things, uh, you saw that drafters were breaking two of the five wrote of his commandments, a piece that you wrote, uh, Ben. You know, I mean, people were projecting out a small sample size and his efficiency and just assuming, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. And, you know, when you're looking at his opportunity share, it really wasn't, you know, all that terrific. Realistically, his, some of his biggest games when Randall Cobb wasn't playing. And in that sense, Diamond Montgomery sort of represents this anti-fragile choice in the receiving core, because as you mentioned, he could ostensibly play that Randall Cobb role. You know, we've, we've seen Rand- them use Randall Cobb as a guy who they've given some carries to, and they've, you know, obviously primarily used him as a wide receiver. But if Gobbs is unable to, you know, stay healthy or if he's banged up or really if he's just a shell of his former self, his contract is quite poor and the and the Packers have a lot of incentive to try and dump that. You know, it's very easy to see Ty Montgomery essentially emerge and it's easy to forget that they drafted Montgomery in the third round when they, when they selected him as a wide receiver. So the idea of him becoming a hybrid player, a la Cobb, if Gobb were to falter or get hurt, is sort of what has me in on him but it's all price dependent and it, and if his price starts to spike as a result of this I'd much rather take either one of Jones and Williams and hope that they end up becoming the lead back whereas a, a player like Ty Montgomery given his murky role but fantastic Swiss army knife skill set makes for a better selection in the, in the later rounds uh, as opposed to someone who you want to really rely on as a week-in, week-out starter.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree with that, too, actually. I mean, I think um, Montgomery's probably going to get a a decent amount of the receiving work, which has the potential to be pretty valuable. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think great points all around from you guys. It's a a tough one. I don't have a great read on it, for sure.
3: (laughs) Now, the Packers drafted a lot of receivers, but what do you think is the likelihood, you know, with Jordy Nelson now gone, that they would – Think about converting Montgomery back to receiver full time.
1: Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like that ship's probably sailed. Uh, but maybe it's possible. I mean, I think Adams and uh, Adams and Cobb are going to probably be their main guys. But uh, and obviously Jimmy Graham. But uh, it's it's possible. I don't know. Is it, has, has there been like any reports about that?
3: Um, I don't think so. Um, not, not that I recall. Just yeah. a thought that occurred to me. I mean, if if that did happen, I think. Uh, like if he were converted to receiver today, I think that would make the value you're getting drafting him at his current ADP pretty bad. Um, just considering how many bodies they added. Yeah, so I don't know.
1: But probably adding those bodies is a, is a sign that that's not really something they're seriously that's considering. That's true. true. I mean, they drafted three three receivers this year, so they're yep. they're pretty deep. Yep.
4: If they wanted to shed salary gap. I mean, Cobb would have been the better candidate just because his, his contract hit is quite sizable for a guy who hasn't really produced much since, or hasn't produced up to what we were expected out of, from him from his given his rookie year production. is sort of been a slow, you know, decline on him. And I know on a, on a points-per-game, fantasy points-per-game basis, and with Rodgers under center, he's very, very good and all that. But it's also, you know, difficult to keep hope alive for that much longer just because you know we're in this period this the summer period where everyone rushes out to best case scenario everyone's gonna be healthy and everything you know all your bayesian priors are thrown out the window uh you know and it's not till october where what we've seen once has happened again and uh it's just it sounds so cliche to say this but it's it's, it just reminds me of that true detective quote of time is a flat circle
3: all right, great place to end it. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest, Ben Gretsch. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at YardsPerGretsch. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His radio channel on iTunes. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the RotoViz Radio podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter, at Roto-Viz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the RotoViz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast.
0: The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys and serve them at Thanksgiving as Terbukens. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries, causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes & Noble Book Hall, you can get over a 1,000 titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes & Noble. Terbukens are fictitious and should not be cooked at home. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.